and rain and sunrises, sunsets, flowers. It just brings me close to God. I've always liked the rain. I just, I, I feel a real connection through God to the, through the rain. Um, we're going to be on page 850 in the Bible, Isaiah 55. Um, we don't have a lot of announcements, which can be good. Uh, Deborah and Roger are traveling uh, to a family funeral uh, this weekend. So we'll keep them in mind. Um, and we're thankful that those that are here, that Raul and Nina are here, and Teresa's here, and um, it's, it's a good day in the Lord. Thank you. Um, okay, Isaiah 55, starting in verse 10. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day, for this rain, for this moment that we can glorify you, Father, in your majesty. You are worthy, Father, to honor and to praise, and we pray that you would be with us this morning, Father, and that our hearts would be turned to you, that the <clears throat> your spirit would reign here, Father, and that your wood would be brought that you intend and it would have the effect that you attend on us. May you be glorified this day, Father. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.
Well, good morning. It is a great morning. Um, I do love the rain. I I like um, Susan. Love to to know that the rain that's coming is going to have an effect on the soil, whether it's flowers or grass. And I do hope my grass is greener after this. But I love the scripture that she read. Um, it is one of Roger's favorites. That that God's word does not come back void. God's word does not leave and have no effect. And just like the rain and the snow that that Susan read from Isaiah that can cannot fall and not have an effect on the soil, so it is with God's word. And so I pray that we would not allow it to have no effect on us today, but that we would receive the words that the Lord is giving us. Um, join with me. We will turn to Philippians chapter 4. If you're in the church's Bible, on page 1351. Philippians chapter 4, page 1351. So it's been several weeks since we have studied in Philippians, uh, but we have a few more messages in this book to, to finish. So we'll be studying here for the next few weeks. Our last message for, was from chapter 4, where Paul talks about some things, some behaviors that are in spite of what is common. And if there's anything we know from, from this week, from this month, from this world, uh, from this year, it is that our world is filled with things that are common, that are accepted, that are um, expected. There is nothing common about Scripture or God's direction. So we're going to start by reading verses 4 through 6 or 4 through 7 of chapter 4. Paul says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So we're going to read some more in this chapter today, but what I want us to, to focus in on is this idea of peace that surpasses all understanding. Now, we may not always want all that God has for us, all that God really directs us into, but we all want God's peace, don't we? We want calm from the storms of life. We want calm from the spiritual chaos that our enemy is trying to pull us into. But that peace comes at a cost. The first thing that Paul mentions is joy. In verse 4 he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Paul has mentioned joy 11 times in the book of Philippians to this point. The joy that he refers to is not because of circumstances, but in spite of them. See, that's what we often want is a God that gives us joy because of our circumstances, right? If everything can just line up just so, if this relationship can be figured out just so, if, if this job, if this, if this, if this, then my joy can be made full. But what Paul is talking about 
is joy that's not to be found in outcomes or even in relationships, but in the Lord alone. He says, again, I will say rejoice. Again, Paul says rejoice in spite of things and in the Lord. The next thing he mentions is gentleness. Paul uses a very interesting word here for gentleness that means patience, softness, and forbearance. It conveys an attitude of kindness when retaliation is expected or even warranted. Think about the moments in your week where retaliation seems expected. It seems required. And Paul says that we are in those moments to have gentleness for God's purpose. Paul says this is to be shown to all men, not just to believers. And he mentions Jesus' return in connection with that. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. He couples these things together. Which is as if to say, Jesus will settle all things upon his return. We can trust him to make all things right, even though the world seems to be coming apart at the seams, and we have no say in it. Romans 12, 17 through 21 says this, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This gentleness is not when things are going well, but when things are going at their worst. That God would enable us not to repay evil with our brand of righteousness but evil with his goodness. The third thing he mentions here is anxiety. Anxiety is a pretty common thing, isn't it? It is a common thing like those we've mentioned, but it is to be uncommon for the people of God. Verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Paul commands them and us to not have anxiety about anything. He doesn't give a parenthesis, a a colon, and kind of give some qualifiers of when it is okay to have anxiety. If this happens, it's okay. This word is well used in the New Testament, and it doesn't mean to be irrational. In fact, this word for anxiety is used to explain rational concern or worry about things. Paul is telling them that worry and anxiety are not their or our place in the kingdom of God. They are to break the cycle of what is normal and turn things over to God in spite of what they want. Think about these words that Jesus says from the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, 
Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? This word that Jesus uses for worry is the word anxious or anxiety. And it's a a word that means to be divided, to be pulled apart, to be stretched like ligaments or muscles from the body. Food and clothing are something that we should seem to worry about, right? I mean, if I don't eat this afternoon, I'm going to be a little bit concerned. I think you would be too. So this is something that would seem rational to be concerned about, isn't it? And that's what we do. We rationalize the things that we are concerned about. The Lord says, even these small things he has covered, if we'd first submit to him. What the Lord and what Paul is urging us to is is that he would supply a countenance and an attitude in the face of adversity that does not fit, uh, excuse me, fit normal expectations. Let's read verse 7 again. And, assuming all these things you do, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That sounds good, doesn't it? We often just skip to that portion of this passage, right? Without seeing the things that the and is connected to. That we've got to first have joy and gentleness and leave anxiety in order to receive this peace. The word for peace here is the Greek word arene, and it is a synonym for the word in Hebrew shalom. Shalom that's not just a greeting today in Israel. Shalom that is a word that God gave to his people in the Old Testament to say you can have peace and wholeness and completeness despite the context and the situations around you. It's a frequent phrase of Jesus amidst calamity to his disciples to say peace be with you. In its simplest definitions, it would describe how a country or a state can have complete tranquility, can have exemption from the rage and the havoc of war. For individuals to have harmony and concord instead of strife and bickering. For us to have security and safety and prosperity and even what scripture would call joy. These seem like impossibilities, don't they? If we have lived even one day or one week in this life. But that's because this is the peace that Jesus offers and Jesus alone. This peace allows us to break the bondage of normal behavior. If we are believers in Jesus and we are behaving normally, we are missing the mark. We are missing the life that God has intended for us. If we are wrapped up in the same things that our friends and families that don't know Jesus are, we are living normally and not abundantly. In verse 7, Paul goes on to say, This kind of peace 
will guard our hearts and our minds through Christ Jesus. The word we read here for guard, it, it is an important word. Paul loves fancy words that have meaning. Well, really simple words that have meaning. This word for guard represents a military base, what's called a military garrison. Imagine a base within a city like Jerusalem where soldiers use this base to guard and to protect the city. See, the city isn't protected just from the outside, but from the very inside. This word for guard is really the action of the military base and the soldiers, which is to defend and to protect the city. See, we can't just guard ourselves on the outside, like willing ourselves up in pride or control or fear so that things cannot penetrate in us. We can't just formulate a shell or a layer of protection, but this guarding begins inside with our hearts. The purpose of God's peace is to act like this military base to defend our hearts and minds. The next few verses that we will read, it is so important that we read in this context. Let's read verses 8 and 9 together. Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. Bill, if you could bring up that first slide, please. Philippians 8 is an incredibly popular verse. It's one of, it's one of those coffee mug t-shirt verses. It, it looks like a poem, doesn't it? Whatever, 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 the things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely, meditate on these things. And this sounds so right, doesn't it? It sounds so right that this should be a supreme encouragement in times of difficulty, hardship, and pain. But let me ask you this. What good does it do to think about these things? Deborah and Roger are on the way to a funeral right now, and they're going to be with a family that is grieving. What good do these words do to just say, think about these things? If we are dealing with complexity in our work or in relationships and things that we're concerned about and we don't understand what good does it do to just think about these things? And I'll admit it almost sounds right because Satan is the master of lies and discouragement. So instead, if we're to focus on what is true and noble and just and pure, lovely, things of good report, that sounds right. That is why the world is where it is. Because it is just thinking about words like this in times of difficulty. Words that are returning void. 
And does that really sound like the Paul we know? Who would say, Teresa, when life is tough, just think about these things. I mean, I know I'm the Paul that's in prison and I am telling you about my chains and it is okay because greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Think about these things. What advantage does chewing on these words actually have amidst difficulty and strife? I believe nothing. And I'll tell you why. Because I believe this this verse has been misunderstood and confused. First off, this list that Paul provides are not overly scriptural, are they? I mean, truth is good, nobility is good, purity is good, lovely is good, good report, virtue, praiseworthy, all these things. But these are not necessarily scriptural ideas. In fact, most scholars believe these are a part of a larger whole of Greek and Roman virtues of the day. Things like be a hard worker, be punctual, be professional, be kind, and you will win friends and influence people, right? In fact, this sounds like something that we could see put up in an office somewhere, right? To suggest that we should have good workplace behaviors or even things in a child's nursery. That completely changes what Paul is saying. For Paul has just told us the things that we must do to enjoy the peace of God. We must have joy, we must um, avoid anxiety, we must embrace gentleness. Those are things that are founded in Jesus' message. Things that are founded in the gospel. So then Paul shifts to things that are common in our world. We'll see what Paul is saying a bit more as we go further. Next, Paul puts a special emphasis on each of these things. He says, whatever things. Whatever. Whatever is a word in our culture to to mean something general and not specific. Can apply to a lot of things. So Paul, for each of these words, no accident, each of these first six, to say whatever things. Not to be specific, but to be vague, to say how much this actually applies to. It's not all-encompassing all and positive in nature, but instead non-specific to refer to how big and how common the things and the ways of the world are. Then for the last two, he says, if, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, If he was referring to God's ways, it would not be if, it would be then and because. The most important part of this verse is the last phrase that Paul says, meditate on these things. Meditate is a unique word choice for our English translation. The Greek word is not of any consequence unless you're interested. And it comes from the word logos, which means word or speech or thing. And it's, it's logizame. 
Some translations for this word say think or let your mind dwell or consider. And our translation says meditate. It's easy to read this word and kind of think um, real romantically like Paul is wanting us to chew on these things, to marinate on these things like wonderful poetry. This word, logizame, is used 41 times in the New Testament. And of those 41 times, 34 times by Paul. And this is important because when we read into Scripture what we want it to say to us, we miss out on God's Word. So we've got to understand what God's Word is really saying. So it's why I tell you this word's used 41 times in the New Testament. Only seven of those times Paul doesn't use them. So I want to look at what Paul says for this word a few other places. Turn with me to Romans 4 on page 1296. Back just a few pages, Romans chapter 4, page 1296. A very familiar verse, Romans chapter 4, verse 3. Paul is, is quoting from the Old Testament. He says, what does scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This word accounted is what Paul uses over here in Philippians for meditate. Follow me to the next scripture. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13 on page 1321. Over just a few pages, 1 Corinthians 13, page 1321. In 1 Corinthians 13, we'll read verse 11. Paul says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. The word here for understood is our same word for meditate. Turn back with me now to Philippians chapter 4 on page 1351. Back to Philippians 4, page 1351. So this word that we read as meditate, it means to reckon, to reckon with, to consider, or to take into account. Paul uses it to describe how Abraham was justified before God. God took into account who Abraham was, and he knew that he was a man being obedient at that time. In 1 Corinthians, he said, I understood this way when I was a child, but I learned to understand differently when I was a man. This is a word here that Paul is saying, I took things into account differently when I was young versus when I was mature. So what we're to do with this word here is to understand it the same way. That when Paul gives this list of these worldly virtues, these worldly principles, 
He's not suggesting for us to meditate and chew on them like a great poem or a great story. He's saying like a proverb that has a spiritual hook to it, that is drawing us into God's purpose, we have to reckon with them. We have to consider and account for them. I believe that Paul knows that this church in Philippi is being persecuted. They are a church that is in the world, in Roman and Greek culture. He also knows that there are disputes that are happening inside this church that are pulling people into worldly thinking of conflict resolution. Because of that, I believe he is addressing two significant realities here. The first is that because of their persecution, the Philippians would be tempted to reject everything outside the church as evil and corrupt. Seems evil, excuse me, seems easy to do that sometimes, doesn't it? To leave this place and see everything through that lens of evil and corrupt. Second, because of the chaos happening in this Philippian church, that they should take hold of qualities that prove noble and true and just and pure and lovely and good and virtuous and praiseworthy. When things come into our lives, into our church, into our fold that don't seem right, it is easy to employ these kind of principles. Things that are common to others, right? Just got to be a harder worker. Just got to be kinder to people. Just have to have the right set of values. To these two conundrums, instead of embracing them, I say, I believe Paul says we have to test them. That's what it means to reckon with, right? It's what it means to consider and to account for that we test spiritually all things inside of the church and outside. Isn't that what was happening with Abraham, that he was reckoned as righteous because he was tested by God? And when Paul says he used to think like a child, but now he thinks like a mature believer, his faith was being tested and proven. Finally, in verse 8, Paul says, these things, meditate on these things. At least in this passage, this simple Greek word is so important. It's a word tauta, which cannot be mistranslated or misunderstood. It doesn't mean those things or that thing. It means these specific things. And this will mean more to us here in a minute. Next is verse 9. And verse 9 is a conjunction to verse 8. To say that these two verses are to happen at the same time not independently of one another. So as we are testing the principles of the world, we are to also do what Paul says in verse 9. Bill, if you'd bring up that slide. Okay. 
he says also, these things you have learned, the things that you have received, the things that you have heard and seen in me, these things you are to do. He shifts from just thinking and reckoning and testing things to actually being action-oriented. As opposed to the whatevers in verse 8, whatever, 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 to mean very broad for all the principles and standards and behaviors that you will encounter in the world. Very specifically, he says, the things that you have learned. The word here is is like the word that Jesus would use. The things that his disciples were taught from a rabbi. Paul doesn't really care what they're, they're learning from their you know, friends book club there in Philippi on Wednesday nights. He cares what he has taught them like a rabbi. Next he says, received. And this is a word that that means to, to grab a hold of. It describes a situation where somebody hands something and you either take it or you don't. It's our natural reaction when somebody puts something in front of us that we would want to take it, isn't it? We have to make a choice to keep the things that we have grabbed a hold of. The Lord has taught each of us unique places in our lives. And Paul says that you have to keep these bodies of teachings and messages and truths that I've given you. Next, he he says the term heard, which is not just with physical ears, but spiritual ears. The things that we have heard spiritually, we are to do. And finally, he says the term seen, which means not just with physical sight, but spiritual sight, that they have understood the message that he has given to them. Paul uses these specific terms, unlike the whatevers in verse 8, but these specific terms to encompass all that has been presented. We often want to plead ignorant about what we don't know spiritually, right? But we know better from the things the Lord has given us. The things that we have learned, the things that we have received, the things that we have heard and seen. These words, unlike what we read in verse 8, the whatevers, these are spiritually directed. These are things from Jesus, from Paul, from people whom God sends in our path. And these spiritually directed things, Paul doesn't just say, think about them, test them. He says, do them. The better understanding for this word is to practice to continue on in these things, improving as the Lord enables us. He also says, do these things. The word that's also in verse 8 for tauta, which doesn't mean anything else. 
He doesn't really care what things we might just come up with on our own that sound good, that sound spiritual, or that someone says that's not rooted or grounded in scripture or biblical doctrine. No, he says, do these things. He wants them to do the things that he's shown them personally. So what does this all really mean? Well, um, when I was first reading this this passage several weeks ago, the Lord um, the Lord spoke to me a statement that I have both said and that I have thought many times. This isn't how it should be. Have you ever said something like this or thought something like this? For me, the Lord has shown me that that I've had this perspective, this internal Daniel's list of how things should be, of what's right and wrong, of what is acceptable and what isn't. When things weren't the way they should be or I thought that's just not right, I simply find myself oftentimes incompatible with the world. Like a computer that's either functioning or not, right? I know things should be different than this. I know things should be better than this. I know others should behave in ways that they're not behaving. And it's like I can't compute. Things like people being unprofessional or disrespectful. People being unfair or dishonest. People, being, people not listening to what seems like sound logic. Those sound like principles from verse 8, don't they? I chuckle now because in my mind's eye, this rightness seemed so right. I mean, we live in a civilized world. Surely there has to be a minimum expectation for how people interact, how people treat each other. And these small things, these standards for good behavior that I had really written down in my mind, they led to more insubordinate thoughts. Lord, how could you allow this to happen? Is this really your plan? It's the reason Paul wants us to guard our hearts and minds from worldly principles like this because worldly principles lead to ungodly worship. This prideful and selfish thinking is the enemy of God and it is not the spirit of God. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in the church's Bible on page 1314. 1 Corinthians 5, page 1314. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is confronting various immorality that's happening in the church. 
There is some seriously heinous sexual sin and many others. Paul says that this church has become puffed up and arrogant, and rather than mourning evil in the body, they have enabled it. Let's read in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 9 through 13. Paul says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous extortioners or idolaters, since you would have need to go out into the world. But I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside God judges. Therefore put away from yourself the evil person. Paul takes sin very seriously. He gives us lists and examples, practical applications for what sin is and how to abstain from it. But he says we're not to keep company with those inside the church who are in sin and refuse to leave it. He's talking about those inside the church. In verse 10, though, he mentions the immoral people of this world to talk about those who are outside of the body, outside of the church. And he says, we cannot expect Christ-like behavior from people who are not Christ-like. We cannot expect Christ-like behavior from people who have not been saved by Jesus. Any more than expecting someone to throw a football like a professional athlete who's never been trained like a professional athlete. It doesn't mean that we approve of sinful behavior, but that we expect it. It's amazing how even hearing my own words, I don't expect what the world does to be worldly. And I judge the world according to the world's, to my own standards. The world is just keeping its own standards. Doesn't mean we approve sinful behavior, but we learn to expect it and look out for it. And even as Paul would say, test it, reckon it, consider it. Likewise, the world may not approve our Christ-like behavior, but it should come to expect it. It is easy to get my and our priorities mixed up. Because we can focus on others and not ourselves. We can focus on those outside of the body instead of those inside the body. Turn back to Philippians chapter 4 with me. Page 1351. We cannot be conditioned 
by the conditions of this world. We can't be. The good conditions for the world, we read in verse 8. Nobility, justice, purity, loveliness, good things, things that are virtuous, things that are praiseworthy, these are fine for this world. But we've been given a greater opportunity. Paul tells us in verse 9, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. If we do these things, the God of peace will be with us. If we align not just our thoughts, but our actions with the ways God has given us, God has given us then the God of peace will be with us. If we look back to verse 7, Paul begins verse 7 by saying, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Back there, Paul mentions the peace of God, but now in verse 9, we are told that the God of peace, this is like a, a peace sandwich, a God sandwich that begins with the character of God that is to bring peace in our lives, and it concludes it with God himself bringing peace into our lives. We cannot receive God and his peace in the full measure that he intends and that Paul suggests if we are living in the ways of this world and holding on to our wants. But, if we hear and receive all the things that we have seen and heard and learned then God will guard us like a fortress. He'll allow us to test the things in this world that his word would not return void. My friends, this world is not as it should be, is it? But we have a choice not to be governed by it any longer. I pray today that we would receive this peace that comes from the Most High God and Him alone. That any place that is not how it should be, any situation that we have given the enemy control, that we would recognize it and refuse to remain in it. Amen. Just a word And suddenly I'm not afraid Cause you speak And freedom reigns There is hope In every single word you say
So quiet my heart, I'm listening. 